Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the Ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that raises the curtain on everyday history and lets it take a bow. I'm Gabe Lussier, and today we're celebrating one of Walt Disney's greatest triumphs, a film that elevated the art of animation, redefined the theater-going experience, and introduced the world to the simple pleasure of ballet-dancing hippos. The day was November 13, 1940. Walt Disney's Fantasia premiered at the Broadway Theater in New York City. It was a full-circle moment for Walt and his studio, and for their original star, Mickey Mouse. He had made his debut in Steamboat Willie at that same theater 12 years earlier, and while back then he was just a ragged, shoeless mouse, as Walt had put it, he was now starring in one of the most ambitious projects ever committed to film. Fantasia was the company's third full-length feature film, following their groundbreaking work on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Pinocchio. It also proved to be their most ambitious work yet, a lavishly produced concert feature composed of eight animated segments set to pieces of classical music. It was a huge departure for a studio and for a medium, that had been built largely on lively music and visual gags. But Disney and his team of animators had spent the last decade experimenting with new techniques and styles in the hope of broadening the scope of what animation could be. Their character designs and backgrounds became more detailed and expressive, and they started devoting more time to plot and character development instead of just gags. All those efforts paid off with the release of Snow White in 1937, the film earned critical acclaim and broke records at the box office, but more importantly, 
it proved that animation was a viable medium for storytelling and artistry. Emboldened by that success, Walt Disney became even more daring in his next projects, testing the limits of the industry and blurring the lines between high art and pop culture. Fantasia would prove to be his boldest experiment in that regard, or as Walt put it, quote, in a profession that has been an unending voyage of discovery in the realms of color, sound, and motion, Fantasia represents our most exciting adventure. That may be true of the final work, but in its earliest form, the film was much more modest. In fact, it was originally conceived as a single cartoon short. One of the Disney Studios' most popular ventures at the time was a long-running series of shorts called Silly Symphonies, standalone cartoons based on nursery rhymes and set to music. In the wake of Snow White, Walt wanted to create a more elaborate Silly Symphony using Paul Dukas's The Sorcerer's Apprentice. The music was inspired by an ancient legend, later popularized by the German poet Goethe, which tells the story of a mischievous young apprentice who enchants a broom to do his work while the old master sorcerer is away. Walt envisioned the short as a comeback vehicle for his old pal Mickey Mouse. Once the most popular cartoon character in the world, Mickey had begun to slip by the late 1930s, ceding the spotlight to the studio's more flamboyant characters, Donald Duck and Goofy. The Sorcerer's Apprentice was meant to make audiences fall in love with the mouse all over again, so Walt knew it had to be something really special. He had artist Fred Moore overhaul Mickey's design, shortening the character's nose, adding his now signature white gloves, and giving him pupils instead of just solid black ovals. Of course, the backbone of any silly symphony was the music. So to make sure this extra special one really sang, Walt went out in search of the best musical collaborator he could find. He eventually zeroed in on Leopold Stokowski, the acclaimed conductor of the Philadelphia Orchestra. As it turned out, the orchestra leader was no stranger to Hollywood, having already appeared in two hit films, the big broadcast of 1937, in which he conducts the same Bach piece used in Fantasia, and 100 Men and a Girl, with the 100 Men being the Philadelphia Orchestra. With Stokowski on board, Disney ramped up production on The Sorcerer's Apprentice, pouring more and more resources into the project. Eventually, the costs ballooned to more than three times the normal budget of a silly symphony, and it was decided that the short would have to be part of a full-length feature in order to turn a profit. With the help of musicologist Deans Taylor, Disney and Stokowski selected seven more musical pieces for inclusion, bringing the total to eight. Additional numbers were considered, but were ultimately set aside for future releases, as Walt thought they could reissue the film each year, keeping some segments while also introducing new ones. Once the final roster was decided, co-story directors Joe Grant and Dick Humer worked out story ideas and themes for each selection. At first, the project was known simply as the concert feature, but Stokowski later suggested Fantasia as a working title. In classical music, a Fantasia is a free-form composition, bordering on improvisation. 
the different styles and moods of the various cartoon segments reminded the conductor of a free-flowing Fantasia, and the name stuck. During production, Walt began to think of Fantasia not just as a movie, but as a sensory, film-going experience. He toyed with the idea of projecting one sequence in 3D, and even considered pumping scene-specific smells into the theater, such as perfume for the Nutcracker Suite and gunpowder for the Sorcerer's Apprentice. In the end, Walt decided to just focus on the sound instead. He and Stokowski wanted to give audiences the rich kind of sound that you really only find at a live concert, so they made the decision to use a complete symphony orchestra for all of the recordings. They even recorded the music on Stokowski's home turf, the acoustically perfect Academy of Music in Philadelphia. But in order to reproduce the fullness of the sound in a theater, they had to develop a new speaker system, which they dubbed Fantasound. It was one of the earliest forms of stereophonic surround sound and was meant to create the illusion of listening to a live orchestra as the movie played. The New York Times praised the effect and its coverage of Fantasia, saying, quote, The music comes not simply from the screen, but from everywhere. It is as if a hearer were in the midst of the music. As the music sweeps to a climax, it froths over the proscenium arch, boils into the rear of the theater, all but prances up and down the aisles. In 1940, Fantasia was first released as a theatrical roadshow, complete with an overture, intermission, and a printed program, just like you'd find at a formal concert. It played exclusively at 13 select theaters, all of which had agreed to update their equipment to the Fantasound system. This involved installing additional speakers all around the auditorium, instead of just behind the screen as well as new projectors and sound reproduction machines. The Broadway theater, for example, added 90 speakers ahead of the film's premiere, with the average cost of these upgrades estimated at $85,000. There was a lot riding on the success of Fantasia, and Walt and his team left nothing on the table in their attempts to meet those expectations. An unprecedented amount of effort went into the film, and not just in terms of sound and scope. For example, the animators brought in real-life models to study their movements and to add further realism to the characters. Horror icon Bella Lugosi was one of several actors whose gestures informed the fearsome demon Chernabog in the film's climactic Night on Bald Mountain sequence, and the graceful steps of world-famous dancer Irina Baranova inspired the character of Mademoiselle Upanova the ostrich ballerina who shares a stage with Hyacinth Hippo and Ben Alligator in the Dance of the Hours segment. That same level of care was put into the other sequences as well, from consulting with paleontologists on the dinosaurs and prehistoric animals seen in the Rites of Spring, to studying the patterns of stained glass windows to achieve the look of the forest in the Ave Maria finale. The studio put it all on the line with Fantasia and then held its collective breath to see if the experiment had worked. In terms of artistry and entertainment value, it was an unqualified success. Fantasia was adored by audiences and critics alike, and it went on to win two special awards at the Oscars, one for outstanding contribution to the advancement for the use of sound and motion pictures, and one for widening the scope of the motion picture as an art form. In terms of box office receipts, however, the film fell far short of its massive $2.3 million budget. 
Fantasia's high concept and sophisticated subject matter likely made it feel less accessible than the studio's earlier films, and being restricted to the handful of theaters with Fantasound didn't help either. One of the biggest hindrances to the film's success, though, was the start of World War II, which effectively closed European theater markets that had previously accounted for nearly half of Disney's revenue. On the bright side, Fantasia did have legs, going on to run for 49 consecutive weeks in New York and nearly as long in Los Angeles. Walt's next film, Dumbo, was a return to form in terms of profits, as it was much simpler and less expensive to produce. Unfortunately, the sting of Fantasia's initial flop scared him away from ever attempting the sequels he had planned. Nonetheless, the Walt Disney Company continued to re-release Fantasia in the decades that followed, and in 1969, the film finally turned a profit, thanks in large part to a successful psychedelic ad campaign aimed directly at counterculture teens. Then, in 1991, the strong sales of Fantasia's first home video release convinced Disney executives to dust off Walt's plans for a follow-up film. His nephew, Roy E. Disney, spearheaded the project and made sure it didn't fall through the cracks a second time. The result was 1999's Fantasia 2000, a worthy successor that, while not as groundbreaking as the original, still delivered on the lofty promise of music you can see and pictures you can hear. Fantasia 2000 also carried the original spirit of innovation, becoming the first commercial full-length feature to be released in IMAX. Decades ahead of its time, Fantasia was and still is the art of animation at its finest. And if you've never had the pleasure of watching the whole film, I urge you to correct that. Don't let the two-hour runtime or the highbrow music scare you away, because as Walt himself once put it, Perhaps Bach and Beethoven are strange bedfellows for Mickey Mouse, but it's all been a lot of fun. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully, you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have a second and you're so inclined, consider keeping up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can get in touch directly by writing to this day at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.